You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here, and it really is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, let me just remind you, kind of orient us. We are three weeks into our sermon series that we have titled Renewal, uh, which corresponds to our membership renewal process. So as many of you know, if you've been around here, we begin every new year as a church um, doing something we call membership renewal. It's just a time for us to pause and reflect on what does it mean to be the church, specifically what does it mean to be this church in this season. And we believe there are four realities that God is calling us to if we are going to be the church he's calling us to be. And every year as members, we take time to renew our commitment to those four realities. And they are uh, gather, go, grow, and give. And so the last two weeks, we talked about what does it mean to be a people who are committed to grow up into Christ. Last week, we talked about what does it mean to be a people who gather around his body as his body. Um, And then today, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a people who are committed to go. Uh, so look with me, Matthew chapter 28. Hopefully you've turned there by now. I can also put it on the screen for you. We'll start in verse 16. This is the Great Commission. Jesus says this, uh, or Matthew says rather, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together one more time. Uh, So, Father, we... um, We do just come before you right now asking that you would help us to be present to you. God, you are here. You fill this place. You fill us. uh, And I pray that we would just be oriented uh, to the beauty and the glory of Jesus. I pray that um, you would open up our hearts, um, our ears, and our eyes to the truth that you have for us this morning. Um, And I pray that this word would do nothing uh, but push us deeper into relationship with Jesus, deeper into his empowering grace and presence. Get me out of the way. Um, The fears I bring into this space and the sin that I bring into this space and all of my brokenness and and messiness, I just submit to you. And I ask that you would just use me for the next few moments just to communicate what it is that you have for me and for all of us in this room. And for those who are not trusting in you today, I pray that you would awaken repentance and faith in their hearts. I pray that today would be the day as Matthew 2816 says that they would encounter the resurrected Jesus and worship him. So do that, we pray in Christ's name and for his glory and our joy. Amen. Amen. Well, in July of 2015, I received some news that changed my life forever. I'll never forget, it was uh, my last day of vacation, and uh, our family had just got back from this family trip, and I was exhausted, so I was vegging out on the couch, holding my still pretty new four-month-old little girl, Susanna Jane, And then my wife comes downstairs and got this look on her face like she's seen a ghost. Um, And so then out of nowhere, she just looks at me and says, well, I know what we're getting Lucy for her birthday in March. 
And I'm thinking, okay, it's July. Like, why are you thinking about Lucy's birthday in March? But I'm intrigued, so I said, okay, what are we getting Lucy for her birthday in March? And then my wife just looks at me with just matter-of-factly, just bluntly just says, I'm pregnant, baby will be here in March. And that's what I did. I literally laughed. Um, because I promise I thought she was joking. And, and I said, oh, you're hilarious. Uh, but seriously, what are we getting Lucy for her birthday in March? And she said, no, I'm serious. I'm pregnant. Baby should be here in March. And I said, you can't be serious. We just had a baby like yesterday. And I'm holding this one up as proof. Like, <laughs> exhibit A, that we just had a child. There's no way... You're pregnant again. And she says, well, I hate to break it to you, buddy, but there's seven boxes of pregnancy tests in the bathroom. That would disagree with you, okay? And so, because my wife's the one that's like, maybe it's a false positive, maybe the box is bad, so I'll buy seven boxes. That's the kind of person that she is. And so, um, at this point, the reality starts to sink in, and I'm, like, freaking out, and I'm in shock, and I'm anxious, and both of us are kind of anxious because our world's already still turned upside down with this four-month-old, and like the thought of another baby at that point just seems overwhelming to the point that I actually looked at her at one point and said, how did this happen? She... <laughs> yeah, and she looked right at me and said, you know dadgum well how this happened. Um, and so, yeah, and so, you know, but, here, but then this is what happens, okay? This is what happens in that moment. We're both freaking out. And then miraculously, like as this news started to settle in, no joke, all of that, all of those emotions just gave way to joy. And we began to feel excited. We're like, wait a minute, we're, wait, we're, th- we're having a baby. Like this is good news. This is great. And then instinctively, the next thing we did is we looked at each other and said, who can we tell? Right? Because you've got to tell somebody. So we picked up the phone. We called our best friends in Kansas City at that point and said, we're having a baby. They said, congratulations, you guys are insane. And then, you know... <laughs> We plotted out like this elaborate plan of how we're going to tell our families and how, you know, back home and how we're going to tell our church. Um, we told our neighbors the next day. I went to work the next day and told the guys that I work with. I kid you not, I even found myself working this into conversations with total strangers. Um, the guy who works at the shell by my house who spoke no English who just looked at me um, and did not, like, he was like, thumbs up, you know, the, the teller at my bank. Like, I was just, I had to share this because um, after, you know, I received and once I finally believed this message, my wife had for me, it changed my life. And now I was on a mission to share it with the world. I wanted everybody to know this good news. I wanted everybody to know and see how this was changing my life. And I wanted you to experience that joy with me. And the reason I share that story with you is because I think it really does give us a great picture and a summary of what the Christian life is meant to be. As we come to Matthew 28, we see that Jesus has entrusted every one of his disciples with a message. That message is the gospel. Jesus is alive. In fact, the first thing he says in Matthew 28 when he comes out of the grave is he tells the women, go and tell everybody else I'm alive. Okay, so he's entrusted us with this message that, that, that he has defeated sin, death, and hell, and that in him there is forgiveness of sins and freedom from everything. Jesus has entrusted us with a message, and ultimately Jesus has entrusted us with a mission that he's calling us to give our lives to. And I want you to see this in Scripture. So look back with me at Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus has just resurrected from the dead. He appears to his disciples, and here's what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And right here, let me just point out, for the record, it doesn't matter what he says next, we should just do it. 
all right? Because when a guy walks out of the grave and says, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth, that's an all-inclusive way of saying everything answers to me. I control every molecule in the universe. All of it does what I say it should do, and I just prove that by walking out of the grave. I think we should all agree, whatever he says next, we should just trust him and do it, and look at what he says next. I've got all authority in the universe. It belongs to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And I know for many of you, you grew up in the church, and you're familiar with this passage, but don't miss the weight of this moment, okay? Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You're standing in front of the resurrected King Jesus. You know this guy just walked out of the grave proving everything else he said to be true, and these are his parting words to you. Nobody, nothing is more important than somebody's last words, right? These are, this is the last thing he wants to say to you before he leaves earth. And he says, hey, I'm about to go to be back with my Father in heaven, but before I go, I'm leaving you with a purpose. I'm leaving you with a mission. Go and make disciples. And I don't know what it is this morning that you would say that you live your life for, but I do know this. Um, the reality is, whether you've in, you're in this room and you've been following Jesus for years or you're in this room because you're searching for the truth, all of us long to live for something bigger than ourselves. And we long to live our lives with a sense of mission and purpose. And in this passage, Jesus is telling you the purpose for which you were made to actually participate in the grand redemptive mission of God. That's why you're here. And so... If that's true, here's what I want to argue this morning. This is what I want to put forward for us to wrestle with. In order for you to truly experience the life that you were created to experience, and in order for us to be the church God is calling us to be, we have to be a people committed to go and make disciples. Because the first thing we see in this passage is it ain't optional. All right, here's what I want to do. I want you to put your eyes on the word go for a second. I want us to unpack go, and then we'll unpack make disciples. Let's start with go. Jesus says go. And as you're staring at that word, the first thing we have to come to grips with is that this is not optional. Jesus doesn't give us the option to go. This is a command. It's an imperative, not a good idea. So Jesus doesn't walk out of the grave and say, listen, if you guys are cool with it, if you're going to follow me, I'd kind of like for you to drop your mission and live for my mission as long as you think that's a good idea. He walks out of the grave and he says, I'm the boss of everything. And then he commands us, go, make disciples. And so right out of the gates, what we have to understand is that according to Jesus, all Christians are called to the mission to make disciples. It's not optional. Um, this is not something that's just for pastors or people with seminary degrees, nor is this something that's unique just to the original 12 disciples. Because look at verse 20. Notice what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, go and make disciples and then teach those disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. Which means when you make disciples, you teach those disciples to go and make disciples. And then they teach those disciples to go and make disciples. Who then teach those disciples to go and make disciples. On and on and on until Matthew 24, the nations have heard the gospel. I mean, this, this is what Jesus is calling us to. The point is, all Christians are called to the mission to make disciples. You could say it another way. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, you're a missionary. And that's why God has sent you into this world. 
Uh, Jeff Vanderstel, the visionary leader of the Soma family, he says it like this. When Jesus says go, he's calling us to live as missionaries, as sent ones. This means if you're a Christian, you're always on mission, always being sent by Jesus. Every part of your life, every activity, every event is part of Jesus' mission to go and make disciples. And so for those of us in this room who call ourselves Christians, I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is, is this really how I see my life? Because I think for me, growing up in the American church, um, I often thought about a Christian as someone who's saved, but I didn't think about a Christian as someone who's sent. Um, we tend to think of, uh, don't tend to think of ourselves as missionaries, right? We tend to think of missionaries as people who go on short-term trips uh, or who sell all of their stuff and then move overseas to a foreign country. That's a missionary. But the reality is, when Jesus says go, scholars love to point out that Jesus means as you go. Meaning, as you move throughout the everyday stuff of life, you are called to make disciples. Guys, the reality is, if you're in this room and you're saved by Jesus, you're sent by Jesus. And you can't separate those two realities. That's why Jesus in John 20, 21 says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If you're saved, you're sent. You're a missionary. All of this is why in 1873... Um, in a sermon that he preached on Matthew 28, the great Charles Spurgeon says this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. So in other words, he's saying you either reorient your whole life around Jesus and his mission, or you say you want to follow Jesus, but in reality you live for your own mission, your own agenda, your own kingdom. And I'm going to be honest with you. Time out. Let me just put myself on the line. This has been a very convicting word for me this week. Because if I'm being honest, I easily drift away from living on Jesus' mission to living on Adam's mission, which usually revolves around doing whatever makes me the most comfortable. So if that means not talking to my neighbor, if that means not sharing the gospel when I feel prompted to, if that means not um, opening up my home and my life to others, if that means not engaging in a tough conversation with someone in my missional community, there's a lot of times I'd rather just do that because that's a lot easier. And that's my mission. And so this has been a very challenging word for me. But you know what? This word has also pushed me deeper into grace. I'm so thankful for the grace of Jesus that I'm saved not by my performance but by his. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that does membership renewal as a way of helping me reorient my life around the life that Jesus has called me to live and to be intentional to live the life that he is calling me to live. And it's the life he's calling all of us to live. First thing we have to understand when you see Jesus say, go, guys, is that if you're in this room and you're a Christian, God has saved you for a purpose and he's given you a mission. What God has done to you, he now wants to do through you. You are a missionary. And here's the deal. If that's true, then in order for us to live out this mission, I think the next logical question we have to ask is, well, what in the world is a disciple? Because if that's the mission, if that's what we're called to make, if that's the target, we need to know what we're aiming at, right? Like we need to understand what a disciple of Jesus is. And so there's a lot of ways I could answer that. But to be brief, I want to quickly look at a passage from Luke chapter 5. I'm going to give you a second if you want to turn there with me. I'll also put it on the screen for you. But we're going to go to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. 
give you another minute maybe to turn there. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And remember, we're asking the question, what is a disciple of Jesus? And I think this passage takes us into the heart of what it means to be a disciple. Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. Here's what the text says. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and uh, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let uh, down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in, order, uh, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. These guys have been fishing their whole lives. They've never seen anything like this. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they, brought, uh, when they had brought their boats to land, get this, they left everything and followed him. First thing we need to see in this passage is this. What's a disciple? A true disciple is someone who is willing to submit all of life to Jesus. A, 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 a true disciple is someone who, when they encounter Jesus for who he truly is, they're willing to give up everything to be with him. That's what verse 11 says, right? Look at verse 11. They, they left everything in order to follow him. These people left their careers, they left their possessions, they left their boat, which was their livelihood, they left their comforts, they left everything that was familiar, they left their family and their friends in order to be with Jesus. And so we see a true disciple is someone who's willing to give up everything they have in order to follow Jesus and make him their treasure. And here's why we have to understand this, is because this is so different from what our culture teaches that Christianity is. We live in a culture that says that Christianity is about making decisions, not making disciples. And so it's a culture that says, you know, we're told you can walk an aisle or you can pray a prayer and you can make this decision to give Jesus your afterlife, but you don't really have to give him this life. You might go to a church service on Sunday from time to time, but in the other six days and 22 hours of the week, you can pretty much, you know, do your own thing. And... What we see in this passage, guys, is that, that that may sound convenient, but it's just not Christianity. Because biblical Christianity means that if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Look, those are, those are, a disciple is not like a Jedi-level Christian. Um, a disciple and a Christian are the same thing. A disciple is just an everyday, average Joe believer who struggles, just like you and me. That's what a disciple is. And so to be a Christian is to be a disciple, which is to be someone who is willing and learning to give up everything, to submit all of life to Jesus, to let go of all everything you're clinging to for your false identity and false security because you truly believe at the end of the day that Jesus is better. And that's what it looks like to be in relationship with someone you love, right? Um, in the spring of 2005, when I was dating my wife, um, I knew that I wanted to marry this girl, but I didn't have enough money to afford her. She's expensive. And so 
um, what's that line about Cadillac taste on a whatever budget? That's, I'm just kidding. That's really not true. Um, but I, I, I knew I didn't have money for a ring. I didn't have money for a place. I didn't have money for a honeymoon. And so I quit the band that I loved, that I, the band I was in that I loved. I sold my amp, a big Marshall half-stack amp, sold it. Um, and then I worked full-time and saved up for a year so that I could afford to marry her. And to this day, I've never regretted it because I really do love her more than I love those other things. And I believe that she's far better than those other things. Guys, this is what Jesus, this is what it means to follow Jesus. They left everything and they followed him. And so maybe for some of you, the reason you're not making disciples is because you're not really living as a disciple and there are things in your life that you're cherishing more than Jesus. Which is often the case with me. You're in good company as long as you would acknowledge and admit that and bring that to him, which is what he's inviting you to do this morning. And so I think the question I would invite you to ask is, what is Jesus calling you to let go of in order to truly give your life to him and be his disciple? What are you clinging on to that's keeping you from being fully committed to Jesus and giving your life to him? And, you know, maybe for some of you it's your comfort. I don't want to be in the missional community. They, they keep calling me to be in the missional community. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make disciples. That's hard. Maybe for you, it's the way you spend your money on things that can never truly satisfy. Maybe it's this fear that if you really sell out to Jesus, you're afraid of what it will do to your status and your reputation. Maybe it's your need for power and control. Maybe it's an unwillingness to actually own your sin and repent. Maybe it's this secret sin that you're nurturing that only you and Jesus know about. Listen, whatever it is, Jesus is inviting you from this passage the call in your life is to drop every false hope and surrender your life to him. That's what it means, guys, to be a disciple. And it's not a call to be perfect, by the way. Uh, the early disciples were far from perfect. We see them mess up and fail time and time again. But they were committed to this lifelong process of learning what it means to submit all of life to Jesus. That's a disciple. Secondly, we see in Luke 5 that... A disciple is not only someone who's willing to submit all of life to Jesus, but a disciple is someone who makes more disciples. That's what it means. So uh, look, at, look back at the text at Luke chapter 5. Look what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 10. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And remember, he's speaking to fishermen, so he's using this fishing imagery. This is the same thing he says in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus says, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You guys are going to be fishers. You're going to catch men. That's what it means to be a disciple. And I realize that when you look at me, um, you know, one of the first things that comes to your mind is, boy, that Adam's a real outdoorsy kind of guy. <laughs> um, but believe it or not, recently I went fishing. Um, Jeff Murphy took Jared and me out on a fishing boat, right, in St. Francis River, one afternoon, and, uh, and I happened to catch this bad boy. I think we got, there it is. I'm holding it close to the camera to make it look a whole lot larger of a fish than it actually is. Um, but that's right, guys. We fished for four hours, and I only caught that one fish. And, and I was darn proud of it, too. And, uh, but here's what I learned that day about catching fish. It's not easy. We were out there for four hours, and I caught one fish. You heard these guys in this passage say, Jesus, we've been out here all night. We haven't caught anything. Here's what I learned about fishing. It's not easy. It's hard work. 
It's long hours with often little results, like hardly what you think anything to show for it. And then it's messy. It's like once you actually catch a fish, you've got to prep it, you've got to clean it, you've got to do all that. It's messy, difficult work. And then Jesus says, exactly. That's what it looks like to make disciples, and that's what I'm calling you to give your life to. See, here's, here's, here's what these guys would have understood. If, if you're a fisherman in the ancient world and this is what you do for a living, then you understand not only is this hard work and this is difficult, but you've got to orient your life around this to make it work. Like your time, your schedule, your priorities, it's all about catching fish. And Jesus says, exactly, that's what I'm calling you to as my disciples. I'm calling you to orient your life, your time, your schedule, all your priorities around teaching others to submit all of life to me. It's not just about you submitting all of life to Jesus. It's about teaching others to submit all of life to Jesus. And just like fishing, it's not easy. It's difficult. It's messy. It's going to be long hours with what seems like little results. I mean, goodness gracious, Jesus spent three hours. Jesus, the perfect disciple maker, spent three hours with his guys all day, every day, and they still messed up all over the place. This, this is hard work. And it's, it, it takes reorienting your entire life. But let me tell you something. There is not a greater adventure in this universe. Amen. And this is what Jesus has created you for. You want to know why you exist? Are you here this morning and you're wondering, like, what's my purpose on this planet? Why do I get up out of bed every day? What is, what, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of the mundane, like, clocking in and clocking out. Like, what is, what's the point of all of this? This is it, guys. This is what Jesus has created you for. It's the greatest adventure in all the universe. Go and make disciples. Listen, I, I want you to get this. You have been uniquely wired and uniquely placed for unique opportunities to make disciples. If, if you're in this room and you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a teacher, you're a welder, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a coach, you're in finances, you're in high school, you're in college, the missional community you're in, the neighborhood you live in, who is in the office or the cubicle next to you, whoever you share a workspace with, the names and the faces of people your life intersects with through your kids' sports, wherever you are, whatever given situation you find yourself in, Acts 17 is super clear. You're there because you've been sent there. You've been placed there, and God has surrounded you with people whom he's put a longing in their heart for him, and they don't even know it. And you're there because you've been uniquely wired and uniquely placed for unique opportunities to build relationships, to speak the gospel, to show other people through your own imperfections and mistakes um, what it looks like to submit all of life to Jesus. Because disciples make disciples. So who are you discipling? Who, is it, who has God sent you to? Who has he sent into your life to disciple them? And maybe at this point you find yourself where I'm at, where it's like, man, I want to do this. Like my heart feels motivated by this and I want to do this, but how in the world do you do it? How do you actually make disciples? And there's all kinds of books and experts we can consult, but I think the best place to look is at the life of Jesus. And so as we close, just in the next few minutes in this last section, I want to get super practical, and I want to look at how Jesus made disciples. And according to Jesus, um, disciples are made in three key environments. Okay, Jesus made disciples in the context of life on life, 
life in community, and life on mission. And we're called to do the same. So I want to briefly unpack each one, okay? This is how you actually do this. Let's put, some, let's put this on the bottom shelf. Here's how you make disciples. It starts with life on life. And I think I have a picture. Oh, there we go. A little snapshot of uh, Sir Matt Wesley and myself. Um, little Jonah Smith creeping in the photo there. Um, and so this is me and Matt in Matt's backyard. We're jamming. We're just making music. And we're enjoying life. And here's the point. When we say disciples are made in the context of life on life, we're saying you can't make disciples unless you get involved in each other's lives. You, how else are you going to teach somebody how to submit all of life to Jesus? Because that can't happen in a classroom, and it can't happen in a Sunday gathering. That can only happen in the context of real life. And so when you look at the scriptures, when Jesus made disciples, he brought people into his life. He, he, didn't, he didn't just invite them into a lecture or give them a curriculum or a study. He, he got involved in their lives. They got involved in his lives. He spent years with them. They ate together. They worked together. They celebrated together. They served together. They rested together. They did life together. This is also how the Apostle Paul made disciples. This is one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Put it on the screen. Paul says, we were glad to share not only the gospel of God with you, but also our very lives because we cared for you so much. Paul says, you want to know how to make disciples? You share the gospel with people and you share your life with people. That's how you do it. You share the gospel with people, you share your life with people. You welcome people into your life, you, you let them see your life. So like what this looks like for Carrie and myself, and we don't do this perfectly, um, but what we try to do is we try to pray, God, who do you want us to be in life with outside of just a Sunday gathering? And we try to open our home and be in life with people and, and do normal things like play guitar and eat meals and do things like that together and have normal conversations about the weather, about work, about kids, about did you see that game last night? And then, you know, we let them see our life. We let them see, like, how's Jesus impacting our marriage and our parenting? And they get to, my missional community gets to see me fail at parenting all the time. Um, and, and, and they get to see how we deal with conflict. And they get to see where there's places of unbelief still in our hearts being worked out. And they get to see it past the surface, right? Life on life is where you get past the surface. And then we get to see into their lives. And we get to see what are the opportunities we can encourage them and we can speak the gospel to their areas of unbelief. Guys, it can't happen if you're not willing to get involved in each other's lives and share life together and share the gospel together. I love this, man. Sometimes we think the gospel is just for unbelievers. And so we have this weird dichotomy between evangelism and discipleship. But no, like discipleship often starts before people are believers. I think it does. And then evangelism continues after you're a believer because you always need the gospel. And so you can't make disciples if you're not willing to point people to Jesus with your mouth. Like not just with your life, but to tell people. And guys, the best, easiest way to do that is tell them your story. You can tell them your story. How has Jesus changed your life? Share that with somebody this week, would you? Tell them how Jesus changed your life. Ask people to share with you their story and then listen for their heart because they'll tell you everything they believe and everything they're longing for and everything they're trusting in. And then those are potent, powerful gospel opportunities where you can point them to Jesus as the true and better of what they're longing for. Paul says, I long to share the gospel of God and my very life with you. I want to do this is life on life discipleship. Secondly, we make disciples not just in the context of life on life, but we make disciples in the context of life in community. 
Here's an image, life in community. And as you're looking at that image, listen, the reason why this is so important is because if I try to disciple you one-on-one, you're going to look a lot more like me than you look like Jesus. Oh, help us. (laughs) Just ask my wife, Randy. Uh, Yeah, Lord, help us. Mercy, Daddy. Daddy. Thank you, Scott. Um, Anybody who knows me will tell you I'm not a perfect representation of Jesus Christ. You need the body of Christ for that. And so if we're going to disciple people, we, we, we can't just do it by ourselves in a vacuum. We have to get in community together. I have to pull people I'm discipling into a place where they can, they can encounter people that Jesus has made different from me. They have different gifts. They have different personalities, and they can be shaped. We can be shaped by one another. Jesus did the same thing, guys, when he made disciples. He didn't, he didn't say, you know, all right, you know, Peter, you can follow me on Monday. James, I'll give you a Tuesday afternoon block. You know, John, you can have my Wednesday morning. They did this in community, and they followed him together. And that's why every week we encourage you to be involved in a missional community. Because contrary to what our American individualism says, you actually are designed for relationships, and you can't survive without community. You cannot experience the life God's made you to experience, this great adventure. It'll never happen outside of the context of community. And the gospel truly makes us a family where we are brothers and sisters. And so that's, that's how we live in missional communities, guys. It's, it's a context for us to fail one another and forgive one another. It's a context for us to celebrate uh, and, and weep and then laugh together. It's a place where we can serve alongside one another. We can bear one another's burdens. We can hear one another's stories. We get to actually learn how to submit all of life to Jesus together. And it can't happen outside of the context of community. Lastly, um, we believe, according to Jesus, uh, that disciples are made not only in the context of life on life, life in community, but you've got to have the context of life on mission. Here's a picture of one of our missional communities actually on mission together. And you want to know why this is so crucial for us to understand, crucial for our discipleship, is because nothing reveals your need for Jesus like living on mission. When, I, when our missional community lives on mission and we serve the ladies and the families at House of Virtue, I'm reminded every week that I need Jesus just as much as the people we're trying to minister to. Because nothing exposes our hearts like mission. It's easy. It's easy to come into a place like this or MC Family Meal and kind of intellectually agree and say, man, I want to do this. I want to love people who are different from me and I want to serve people and I want to have compassion on those who are in need. It's another thing to actually catch a fish and clean it. Like, guys, it's, this is, it's messy. And it's messy partly because you're messy and I'm messy. And we, bring, we contribute a lot to the mess. And so all this selfishness and pride gets squeezed out into my, of my heart. Gosp, the gospel mission exposes that and exposes the places where I'm still not fully trusting Jesus. And I can go, oh, yeah, that's another area I need to fully surrender to his lordship. You've you, you got to do this in the context of life on mission. And that's why all of our missional communities have a specific missional focus, whether it's ministering to internationals or single at-risk moms or youth sports or addicts, foster kids, our local community center, Arkansas State athletes, Reynolds Park. I could grow I could go on and on. But it's crucial for us to do mission together. Because when Jesus looked at his disciples, okay, listen, stay with me. There's a sense in which he looked at his disciples and he when he told them to go, he was talking about like all of life is mission. And he was talking to them as a group of individuals, like you guys are always on mission. That's what we might call reactive mission. 
It's whenever you are just every day, all day, responding to the gospel opportunities that God has given you for discipleship. That's, that's reactive mission. But there's also a sense in which Jesus was looking at them as a group and saying, you guys are going to do this together. There's a specific area you're going to reach together. And that's what we might call proactive mission. It's we're going to be intentional and we're going to be on mission together. And it is a crucial concept for your discipleship. If we're going to follow the way of Jesus and his example, you need to practice both of those realities in order for you to be a disciple who makes disciples. So in conclusion, let me just recap it like this, okay? Bring it all together. We'll land the plane right here. A disciple is someone who's willing to submit all of life to Jesus. And disciples make disciples. If you're in this room and you're a disciple, you are saved and sent out to live your life for this purpose. And we believe as a church, discipleship happens in the context of life on life, life in community, and life on mission. And and if you're here right now in this moment, and after hearing that, you realize, like, man, I've been playing this religious game. I have, you know, at some point in my life made this decision to give Jesus my afterlife, but I've never made a decision to give Jesus this life. You can do that right now. Jesus, the real Jesus, calls you. The same call he put on these disciples, he puts on your life right now. He calls you to drop every false hope, to drop everything you're clinging to, and to come to him and experience his grace. And today, you can begin the journey of learning to submit all of life to Jesus. That can happen for you right now. And if so, we would love to talk with you about that after the service. There's others of you in the room who, after hearing this, you go, man, like, part of me wants to follow Jesus, but this, man, this making disciples thing just feels hard. Like this honestly feels like a go and die sermon, which sometimes Jesus does call us to go and die. But in the reality, when he calls us to go and die, he's actually coming us to come, calling us to come and live, right? To come and experience the life we were made for. And so if you're in this room and this feels kind of hard and this feels kind of difficult, here's the good news. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus closes the Great Commission this way. He says, all authority has been given to me. And when you go out and make disciples, I will be with you always. Jesus says, I'm not just giving you a mission. I'm giving you myself. And in Acts chapter two, we know exactly what that means. Jesus has given us his spirit to empower us and to guarantee that this mission will be a success. And that means guys that the good news is the ability to live the Christian life and to make disciples doesn't rest on your power, but it rests on the empowering presence of the spirit of Jesus in you. And that means the pressure's off, guys. Like, you realize it's not on you. You don't have to have the right answers. You don't have to have, you know, know all the right stuff to say or know it all. You have all the power you need to be on mission to make disciples because you have the same power Jesus did to, uh, Jesus had to do what Jesus did. And, and the greatest news, guys, is in the end, the mission is already accomplished. It's already a success because the one who has all authority is going to win. And he's already won because he walked out of the grave to prove it. And that's what we celebrate every week at this table. What we celebrate at this table is that Jesus is the greatest missionary in all the universe who left the comforts of heaven to come all the way to, uh, to us and to make a home with us and to share good news with us. And not only did he share good news with us, but he shared his very life with us. He gave his life for us that we may have true life in him.